Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and Adolf Hitler himself opposite me. He's been resurrected back from the dead, Liam Morgan. Because you do resemble Adolf occasionally when your hair gets wet in the sea. Now, I know you're looking at me like, you know, what's he on about now? Where stuff? is he going? My with? hair resembles at the moment sort of like a, an electrified porcupine who has put way too much hair gel and being chucked in a washing machine. So I can't talk. I'm looking pretty horrendous in that sense. Well, you are looking at the original Vidal Sassoon because I actually am our the resident barber in our family. I haven't taken it to my own hair yet, but although I do do the sides. So I resent your likening me to pretty unpleasant, not very mindful surfer. <laughs> what is Adolf, a mindful surfer? Definitely I not, before you offend was. more of the, uh, of the growing audience. Um, yeah. It's to do with the sweep of hair as it goes over. It's getting quite long now for a 45-year-old man. Is Nearly 45-year-old man. It is getting pretty long. It is. And the thing is, it's funny how as surfers, we kind of have that thing that we wear, quote-unquote, of like, my hair is like this because I surf and whatever. And that's the ego element of it. But also at the same time, you can then look at the flip side of the ego element of image, which is that, like, it's okay. Like, we're all peacocks. Why pretend that you don't want to look good? Like, it's cool. And longer hair on guys, particularly with the whole surfy thing in mind, it kind of does go hand in hand with that kind of loose attitude and relaxed thing and that vibe and lifestyle. I think that's cool. Although there's two angles on this. I always have these two angles on things. Maybe there's three, maybe even four. But it's very impractical. To have very, long hair in the very. surf because it gets in your eyes. You can't see when you're duck diving. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. quite sort of... So it can be a problem. I used to have an immense problem with my hair and talking about insecurities when you're growing up because you mm-hmm. cannot help the hair that you've got. And I'm very fortunate that I was gifted a good thick head of hair from my mum and a very curly-haired Irish family because we're very thick curly-haired crew on that side of the family. You do have very curly. There's yeah. no, there aren't any African genes slipped through there, is there? No, I think when I did a DNA test, it is because I was looking, and there's a story in this for Native American. Mm. My grandfather, who was a sort of crazy Irishman, had this really big tattoo on his arm of this sort of Native American sort of chief in his all full regalia, headdress, you know, everything. And he would tell us these stories about the fact that this was our great-great-grandfather. And we were descended from these kind of amazing Native American warriors. And But, the you know, what they were doing in the northwest coast of Ireland, I have got no idea. <laughs> But he would tell this story so well. And I was having a chat with a mate of mine one evening in a bar, and I have frequented those places from time to time. And I was saying, you know, a crazy guy, my grandfather, he had this thing about us being descendants of uh, these kind of Native American Indian tribe. And he said, the guy I was with, who was a quite a, you know, nerdy historian, said, well, Liam, you do realise that the Choctaw in- Indians at the time, as they were known, during the potato famine, they raised aid and donated aid and help to the Irish people. And indeed, there is a memorial to these people when i started googling it online so i'm thinking maybe i have maybe and how great that would have been what a story and so i did this dna test and and very sadly whether it's because it was a basic one it didn't throw anything up but it did Uh. say portuguese and there's some good surf there so i'd love to go and surf the spots of my so northwest coast of ireland absolutely the small stuff Mm. not mullamore and all that stuff but some of the smaller spots i'd love to go back and surf there but Portugal, Spain, and a little bit of India. There we go. 
I think that was in there. I might have to Very do another, nice. another one. So maybe that's Very where nice. the hair comes from. But I was incredibly embarrassed by it as a kid. I always wanted to have really short hair. Yeah. And now I think we're through, thank goodness, where you don't have to have long blonde hair to be a surfer. It's now, you know, it's a broad church. The magazines don't dominate that image anymore. And yes. it doesn't matter whether you've got green hair, blue hair, grey hair, whatever. You can get in and rip. It's Kelly has it dialed because that's got to be the most practical surf haircut going. Yeah. It's never getting in your eyes. I'm not sure if it's a choice for and, Kelly. And the thing, <laughs> <laughs> my hair gets in my eyes at the moment and I'm letting it grow long. And I kind of then go, what the fuck am I doing? Letting that happen. When I'm on a wave and it's like disrupting my focus. And it's part laziness and part image of just embodying that kind of long hair thing. And without me knowing it consciously, so much subconsciously, to do with this kind of image of surfer and whatever. Mm. And that's why this idea that, you know, I'm holier than thou and I have no ego and I have no interest in wanting to look a certain way is complete utter bollocks. Because in doing so, you have revealed the ultimate paradox, which is that when someone professes to be holier than thou... That is an even greater shield than the person next to them who says, oh, you know, yeah, I'm pretty interested in my image and wears it kind of in a relaxed way and says, yeah, I don't mind. I want to look good. So it's, it's a really strange paradox. There's another one on that, which is um, the human who turns up to the beach in the shittest car possible mm. and says, look at me, as in, I'm so roughing it. I'm the surfer who we all aspire to be because I'm off grid and I eat just lentils and I fart pure vegetable methane. I mean, like, I could go on. Again, it's just such nonsense because you've got someone else who might turn up to the beach in the swankiest Tesla worth a hundred grand and wear all the high spec kit, but should be so grounded, calm, engaging, spiritual, relaxed, healthy, dot, 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 all the things that we want to be and, yeah. and aspire to be. But yet is driving a car that might by a lot of surfers be perceived to be, oh, that's not very spiritual. And that's materialist. Yeah. And it's like, this is where this judgment thing comes in. And um, surfers are so quick. Faster, I think, than any bracket of society to judge each other. Yeah. Whether it's a shortboard, whether it's a car, whether it's where you look, what your hair, da, 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 your body shape, whatever. And I do it. Yeah. I do it fucking all the time. Someone comes in with a, you know, carrying weight, and I've immediately judged them. Oh, they're not going to be able to surf with it. And then, bang, they humble me. And they absolutely shred. It's going on all the time, isn't it? And I think we've just got to be really aware of when we're doing it. Check in with ourselves. Not be hard on ourselves, because we all do it. It's okay. And then kind of go, right. Just take a few breaths and let everything be, you know. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about it before, haven't we? There's as much ego sometimes in wearing the mindful warrior of, you know, you surf a single fin that's shaped. We've laughed before with Luke Sediman's stuff where he kind of, you know, there's a sort of stereotype of the mindful surfer, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. And what we're trying to say is that if you kind of drop those kind of shields and drop the judgment and drop the labels and wear your hair as you want, (laughs) bold, long, short, straight, whatever it might be, for us all to try and give each other a little bit of a easier time and sort of drop that judgment. It makes the life a little bit better. But of God, we all fall into it. I mean, oh, there you are judging me for looking like one of the world's worst sort of genocidal dictator maniacs <laughs> that's ever lived. Oh, it's funny, dude. Yeah. We also want to talk about the um, the surfs we've been having lately. And we've been in today. We've been in today. It was a, really, it was a fun surf, wasn't it? I enjoyed that. Mm. One thing I find about the longboarding surf is that, I say this all the time, it takes more skill in my view to ride a longboard well because your balance receptors are working in a different manner so when you're on a shoreboard it takes aspects of power aspects of strength and timing and reaction speed it's all those qualities and balance actually sits further down the spectrum when it comes to shoreboarding 
Okay, like let's call it classically just short body. Now that could be on a groveler too. But like, let's say you're trying to do in the pocket top turn, cut back, dot, dot, floater, dot, dot, dot. Fast twitch. Bang, that kind of thing. When you longboard, it goes completely the way and balance goes to the top of the totem pole. And wow, you use so many different muscles. You sort of core engages more, has to. And your abdominal wall with your back has to kind of keep balancing and keep readjusting your body weight and where's your feet. And if you're too far back on the board, the wave gets ahead of you, too far forward and you nosedive and you've got to be in the right place. And I can't recommend longboarding enough or foamy riding, let's call it that, or subsurfing as well as a great aid to your shortboarding because it really helps you appreciate balance in such a way that when you then get on a board that's like a grovel, like let's say, in that way, and on a better wave, you can tear into it way more because your core gets such a conditioning from those other things. How do you find your... Because you're kind of entering into this realm. You've got this new one, this 7.0. It's a 7.0 Luke Young, which has made a locally sourced surfboard. He's a local shaper, uh, Luke Young. Because I sort of, as you know, if you've listened to this for a while, going through the iterations of trying to improve again, coming back to surfing after kind of what was, I thought I was still surfing, but was a massive gap really between sort of where I was and and where I am now. It sort of was trialing different boards and surfing on, and I've had some great boards that I've really enjoyed over the last three years. And they range from foamies to shorter boards. One thing I hadn't gone back to, you know, if I think about the first board I ever bought, this guy's still making them locally as well. It was a Graham Bunt Minimal from Surfed Out in North Devon. I loved that board. I still got it in the shed, but it's kind of battered and it's got holes in it and it's probably a bit waterlogged. I kind of remembered how I'd surfed it, you know, because it's a great board to learn on. And that's when I was really learning. When I came back from Australia, I was learning on this sort of Minimal, this 7.6 Minimal. It's a brilliant board for its time. And then when you and I've been surfing together, I've gravitated much more towards, let's call them shorter boards, you know, and I really love the Luke Short. It's a 6.2 20 and it's it's a great board but like you say it sort of engages for me at my level whether this is right or wrong a bit more that fast twitch trying to kind of move it's a sort of jerkier surf let's call it and you know you were rightly well advising me about you know trying to go back to something that's a bit more you know has a longer outline but still has a bit of performance in it so you can turn it and you can ride what we get a little bit more uh, coherently which are those mushy mushburger waves mushburgers i'm not going to do the fries with your mushburger thing the first couple of surfs, I kind of went, mm, I'm not sure about this because to go from, let's say, 5.11 and a 6.2, which I've got, to a 7.0 really took some getting used to because it paddles differently. It's weightier. It's kind of different vibe. But the first couple of waves that I caught properly on it, and I think one was one of our favorite spots, and I think it's the longest ride I've ever had because you can sort of walk around the board a little bit more and you can kind of get that flow of trimming a bit more on a sort of smaller wave that allows you to sort of glide through what on a shortboard wouldn't work. I've really loved it. And I think, you know, if anybody's listening and they're kind of going through that, you know, what shall I ride? How shall I ride it? I can't recommend this thing enough. I mean, it's it's been a brilliant board. I love a twin in it. So I've oversized the MRs, you know, that kind of uh, vibe mm-hmm. in this 7.0 board. I mean, you had a go on it earlier, right? It surfs a bit like a shortboard, but it also gets you in and it's got a longboard vibe to it as well. Totally. It was pumping really nicely down the line, but it makes me think of kind of that session and how we got a buddy of ours who asks really mindfully, like yeah. a lot of the time, like, how was my style? How was my arms? How am I looking on this, doing that, that, that? And I get why he's asking because he wants to progress and he wants to know that he's in the right place in the wave and whatever. But then there's a flip side to that, which is to say that, and we mentioned this on social once, but surfing is art. There could be no right way to draw a painting. So someone might then say, well, actually, that's beautiful because that look how like for like that is with that photo or that view. 
Now, you have a flip side to that. Someone draws something that's, let's say, interpreting the same view, but just completely different. It's a very haphazard style and a bit oof, a bit ugly to a lot of people. But to some people, it's divine. Yeah. And in surfing, we've got to be really conscious about going along with the crowd because we do it and I've done it. And why am I a short boarder? Well, probably because my brothers did it and because it looked cooler from the offset. There's no doubt about it. And it looked harder. So if it looked harder because you've got a smaller board, then it's the ego. Because the ego says, oh, well, I'm on a smaller board. So obviously I'm, <laughs> I'm a better surfer. And that's actually apparent. That really filters in through the surf world because I've got some, many stories about that. But there was one even just the other day. There was this kid who came in, maybe 18 years old. He paddled out on his longboard. And there he was. How you doing? Yeah, cool. Oh, from uni. Yeah, you're in lockdown. Da, da, da. Got chatting. Da, da. First thing he said, and having talked about it, surfboard, oh, my shortboards are in the repair house, like type thing. And I just went, oh, okay, cool, man. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't bother me whether or not you're on this longboard because oh, yeah. know, what does it say? I mean, people assume that sometimes that they're being judged because they're on a longboard. And there's the assumption, oh, well, if you're on a longboard, then, you know, obviously you haven't got very good paddle power and you can't be doing massive spray turns because, you know, you can't be as good a surfer. And what I love about a lot of surfers that I meet they might be riding on the sort of thickest, weirdest looking bit of kit, but the way they carry it down the beach and the way that they just get on with their surf without looking around at other people and the way that they just have a good time and do beautiful maneuvers on that bit of kit really highlights that kind of path of, you know what, I'm going to surf like no one's watching. And it's very hard to do. Really trying to surf like no one's watching is very, very, very hard to do. I think I'm better at it. I really do still get self-conscious at times. I think it's quite normal. It's human, isn't it, to be... uh, There's the peacock element in all of us, especially as fellas, and particularly when you are full of youthful testosterone. Did he have cool hair? Do you know what? He had a pretty (laughs) decent lid on him. There we go. So that means a lot anyway. Ironic moustaches. You know, the one that's like kind of half-growing that's quite fluffy. (laughs) He reminded me, dare I say, he looked like this guy, but you know Cletus from um, Simpsons? (laughs) Oh, hello. (laughs) Hey there, Homer, what's going on? And he kind of of looked like that, you know, with this kind of, this wispy little moustache thing. But he was a cool guy. He was a lovely, lovely, sweet lad. But it really highlighted that thing of like, dude, I'm, don't worry about it, man. I'm it, not judging you for being on a long board. It's usually a judgmental sport, isn't it? And that's why we kind of talk often about this. And to be a, even some people who are free surfers at the highest level, there is a sort of shield and an ego that goes along with that as well. It's kind of like, how do you, how do we all begin to surf like no one's watching so that you get the feeling? Because you're right, you know, the fact that it is art. And of course, people can criticize art. But if that art exploration if the expression of your art makes you feel good well fuck the um the critics criticism when it comes from a point of view of trying to make somebody else feel shitty he's often in order to make the person who's criticizing feel better for their own Mm. uh, we all know this right for their own shortcomings there is constructive critique of performance and how to improve certain maneuvers or whatever it is in order to kind of raise the level of your enjoyment of a wave. But in terms of criticizing how somebody surfs, you surf however you want on whatever mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. And if you get that kind of elevated sense of flow, which I know we'll talk about, then you are, an in- as we said on the post and this last title of the show, you're an incredible surfer. And you're an incredible surfer because we are all incredible as humans to get deep about it. But you are expressing something of yourself as best you can 
we're all living our best version of ourselves, hopefully, on something that is a pure gift from the wave gods. So true, dude. So get on and don't worry about the kind of whether you're on a uber cool surfboard or whether you're on something you found under the shed. Just get in and enjoy totally it. Totally agree. And I think the world is going that way. I think the yeah. surf world is getting so much better at that. The foamy revolution, all the grovelers that are out there, et cetera, that is really helping people. Yeah. It's making people realize that, dare I say, be more realistic about your ability in the ways you surf. But that's the only word I can think of. That realism is leading to more flow experience because people are catching more waves and doing better turns that they can even complete yeah. and continue through because you need that foam under your feet. Yeah. And you need the right board. And people are thinking much less and less about their ego in that sense now and more and more about what is actually going to float me, what is going to catch me waves and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because back in the day, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, back in the Kelly Slater, tiny little toothpick surfboard realm in the late 90s into the O's, early 2000s, it really was like, you know, you'd carry this shield, so to speak, yeah. of the shortboard down the beach because it made you look cool. Yeah. And now that is changing, really is changing. That's the thing you've got to always ask yourself is, what am I doing this for? Am I doing mm. this to look good? And if that floats your boat, good for you. Or am I doing this to feel good? And for me, I know which camp I would rather be in. Sometimes the looking thing, as we said last week, when it comes to things like exercise, that might be a byproduct of feeling yes, brilliant. Yes, yes, yeah. It's so fucking, it's so fucking true, dude. Yeah. I know I look my best on my surfboard when yeah. I'm feeling the best. Yeah. They go hand in hand. Because you just care so little about how you look. So you're, you're just in the flow. You're not even thinking. If you're yeah. not thinking, you're just ripping it. You're going for it with abandon. Yeah. And you don't care if you fall off. And that's when you do your best turns. Yeah. That's when you do your best manoeuvres. Yeah. Like I said, William, it's like dancing. If you're dancing, you're dancing. It's like dancing. <laughs> Dude, love that. Love that chat. That intro chat. Fucking awesome. Man. Yeah. Well, we'll see what the letters say when uh, they talk about my hair and various people that I've been likened to. Yeah. Well, listen... I look like a porcupine. <laughs> segment one, that's segment one. Segment two, the mindful surfer. We just do a couple of minutes just to kind of check in with your breathing, raise your awareness, because that's kind of what we're doing here. Just raising the awareness. So take a deep breath in through your nose. And breathe out. And take a deep breath in. And breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. All I want you to do whilst you're driving or walking or sitting still or whatever it is you're doing, picking your nose, is just to really listen and feel that sensation of breathing happening. Just for the next minute or so. Keep your focus on your breathing. So stay focused. Last few breaths. Good work, guys. One of the things I find 
incredibly humbling about my mind is that as soon as I got rid of one concern, stress, worry, problem, barrier, it is replaced by another one. <laughs> and I laugh at that because sometimes I just think, wow, this mind is just searching, searching for stuff. I could go, you know, in, in a morning of having this anxiety that comes up that I have, and it's about my heart, comes from many years ago when I had a sort of slightly traumatic incident where I thought I was having a heart attack. Turns out I wasn't because I'm still here. It left a, a little post-trauma thing in me and I deal with it very mindfully today. But that was coming up even this morning. And as it was coming up, my goal was then to not try and change it. That's always the key with mindfulness, but it's to allow your feelings to be what they are. I think that's really the most important message of mindfulness. And that's why it's so healing. So just allow myself to be there and be anxious in that moment. It's totally normal or part of a normal day. But I then don't have, this is the massive one. It's a big call. I don't have anxiety and that's massive because mm. I haven't been to a doc or a psychiatrist or someone who's given me a label and that's really key. It's not to say that some people don't have severe anxiety who then need that label to be able to get medication and do things about it and whatever. But we've got to be very, very careful, much like having the label of, oh, I'm a short border, just in the same way. But also have that label of, oh, I have this. I have depression. I have... Because nothing's static. You're completely denying the truth of possibility. Possibilities in every corner, in every moment of something different. And if I hadn't started meditating eight years ago, when I was having my most anxious time in my life, then I wouldn't be where I am today dealing with it in the mm. way that I am. That was just meditation, the way I was dealing with it. It's not then for me to then say that someone else should not then say, I have anxiety. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying what I'm saying is, let's just be really aware of when we're letting our labels get in the way of growth. Yeah. That's it. The short border, the long border, the anxiety, the depression, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Stay within the zone of now. And the, and the now is always moving and always changing. I think that's why we've always been kind of vibe of being pro being able to move beyond the place that you are now. Because sometimes label gives you a, a defined and definitive and almost permanence to something. We're talking about surfing all the time, and that's really good metaphor for life sometimes, in the impermanence of waves and good times and bad times and ups and downs and all of the kind of fun stuff and crap stuff that makes life such a rich and enjoyable ride. That's what it is. And sometimes it's awful and it's not awful forever. Sometimes it's brilliant. But if you kind of start to sort of stick things to yourself, it goes back to maybe some of that stuff we talked about in earlier episodes around Seth Godin's kind of self-imposed boxes. Once you've built your own box around yourself, can be very hard to get out. Or indeed, if you kind of take on all of the things that other people want to say to you in order to keep you in that place, it can be very hard to get out. This helped me is trying to say that no state is a permanent state, whether it's mind whether it's your body whether it's your stoke levels it's kind of they rise and fall as sure as the tides are going to rise and fall so true and same when sometimes we talk about it from that perspective you know waves come and they can be brilliant and then other times in exactly the same beach at exactly the same time they're just flat and they're not there if you think that that is your forever state you'd be depressed that there's no more waves coming but if you know that that might be a day it might be two days it might be a week it might be a month but it will eventually pass then that's kind of a great... And meditation does help that because it sort of gives you that breath work. Because when you are in a state of fight or flight kind of thing, your breathing does become more shallow and you start... So to kind of control that, 
and to calm or stimulate which one I can't quite think. You, no, I, you think, might know, but I think both. The, yeah. the, the vagus nerve, you know, which is, yes. is responsible for a lot of that. You trigger it when you take a deep breath. You do trigger that yes. nerve. And so immediately your biochemistry changes. I've lost the plot slightly because what I've started doing. Have you Mas- tried this? Bang. No. 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 Uh, you haven't gone on to the 18 per day? Is humming. Have you tried humming? Humming's great. In the bath. Yeah. Because of the resonance that you get. Yeah. So you go under the water and you sort of, you let the mmm out. Mm-hmm. It feels great. It's the om. It's the yeah. om or the hum or, or, or chanting. Yeah. I mean, talk about Red Indians. That's your, you know, your background in that way, maybe. Or Native Indians. I don't yeah. know how yeah. I'm supposed to describe that. But they were famous for chanting. Yeah. Getting that voice going and singing is part of that realm too. Anytime where your diaphragm vibrates, yeah. you trigger the vagus nerve. Yeah. Whether it's humming, whether it's singing, whether it's deep breathing, anything where you can get this chest area yeah. to start vibrating is instantly releases serotonin, which is your feel-good. And it feels great. Feel-good hormone. As Wayne Dyer once said, serotonin is the hormone of God. Yeah. Feel good to feel God. Feel the universe. Feel, yeah. feel the presence of life and nature itself. It's why we talk about good vibrations. They are actually yep. a thing, aren't they? It's a vibration that sort of resonates. Yeah, Our bodies man. on a cellular level, they just kind of respond to that vibration. It's why we're soothed by great sounds and music. Big it kind time. of goes through us. It kind Big of, time. the sound waves pass through us. There's a guy actually that sort of engages with the show, Sean, who is very much about kind of meditative sounds and instruments. And uh, I follow some of his stuff sometimes and it's really cool. It's really, really cool. cool. But it's it really is that cool. chanting realm that takes you into almost that kind of elevated state. Oh, love to, I'd love to try more of that stuff. Brilliant, dude. No, it's brilliant. And you've got to let go of this kind of idea of how you seem to others because they might hear you doing it or hear that you have done it. Describing it and be like, oh my God, getting really, he's going deeper. really deep and wacky. But it's not about that. It's just about feeling good. Just in the same way you described it earlier on about looking good versus feeling good in the surf. If you do it to feel good, you really do start to kind of go, hang on a second. Why the fuck was I so concerned about how I seemed in this life? Actually, <laughs> I can just be myself and it'd be okay. Yeah. Like, why was I ever apologizing for that? Or hiding. Trying to hide it or defend it or like, what the fuck? Just be so. But I want to bring us on to yep. segment number three, which is the mind-body stoke. Mm-hmm. Things Liam and I have been doing with our minds and bodies to raise the stoke. Now, you didn't say you've been on the 18 per day masturbation, which is fine. We'll get you there. Now, as much as meditation and other things, you're, you're getting there. You're, you're all your surf progression, dot, dot, dot. You haven't quite got to that point there. You want to be bleeding. That's the point you want to be <laughs> oh at. You want, that's when you hit this extra serotonin. If, if this was a live show and we had a message board, it would be a light now with complaints. <laughs> Listen. Hang on. They call the it, v- it's v- hashtag 19 v- a day. Oh, your mum's on the line again. With <laughs> <laughs> but like, Listen, I talked about my mum's private parts in one of her oh. earlier episodes and I had to ring her up after and I said, Mark, I've got to be really honest with you. I talked about your bush on the show. I was a young child and I saw you naked and went, whoa. I can't even remember how we got onto that on the podcast. But anyway, we take segues. I am just very glad I didn't I, talk about it. No, that's fine. That could have been a bit different. And she was, oh, honey, don't worry about it. It's fine. We grew up in a very naked house. We're very comfortable with that. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Mind Body Stoke, anything you've been doing with your mind and body to raise the stoke? I want to start talking a little bit about flow state as a mind thing. I'm sort of reading a few books, or I'm trying to. You remember those things? I kind of made a paper. They're long form. Mm. Uh, they take time to read. They give nuance and depth on all sides. And you can explore many sides of 
many different things of a subject by putting it in a book. They're great things. Now, I haven't read this book yet, but I did listen. There's a guy to sort of frame it who I was introduced to actually through the Aubrey Marcus podcast. I've heard of him before, but actually I'd not heard him speak or talk about some of his experience. A guy called Stephen Kotler, who is a kind of flow state expert, you know, he's a journalist. He wrote a book I think one of his earlier books connecting to surfing was called West of Jesus. And I've just started the first chapter of that. And it's really interesting about his recovery from uh, Lyme disease and him going finding surf and going into that sort of realm. But he then has become really kind of key writer about hyperperformance and what makes kind of superhumans, if you like, people who perform at the highest levels, people like Laird Hamilton and so on. You know, you and I are really interested in this kind of flow experience and how that relates to, obviously, it's a big part of surfing and what we get out of it. And when you enter that realm of flow, you're not entirely sure what you're doing or how you're doing it because Mm. your mind is gone and you're just in this sort of experience of pure expression. And so I'm starting to look at that book, really, and I don't think it's out yet. I want to kind of start exploring a little bit more about the science of flow, how the kind of neuro elements feed into it. But one thing that really kind of got me thinking about it from the point of view of the show is the sort of breakdown was a little bit, the synopsis, if you like, was talking about these periods that you go through and where you hit these moments of resistance. Bear with me, because this is where I'm coming to with this sort of mind bit. You kind of have a motivation to do something right. Our motivation is we love the sea and we love surfing and surfing great and so on and so forth. And you learn how to progress and do that better and the learning comes in. So you're motivated to learn. And as those kind of the mechanics of what you're doing get better because you're motivated to practice and try things, you become more creative with that experience because you're reaching a level of mastery. And then this kind of element that once you've got all these things put together, when you're put in a situation where you're not, as you've often said, Will, the bit where you're too scared or too underwhelmed, you hit a moment of flow. And I think I was kind of listening to it thinking it really resonates with the experiences that you and I have had since, really, since the kind of birth of the mindful surfer you know well us surfing long before the show but when we started talking about what it was and how it was and some of the experiences that certainly i've had back on this sort of improver journey where you go and take some of that motivation you take some of the things you've learned and you start to meet areas of resistance and that resistance might be bigger waves that make you more frightened it might be your body's not fit enough to do the things that you want it to do but there is a time when you meet that resistance, you think, oh, this is hard work. Oh, I'm not sure about this. And you get frustrated. But if the motivation's high enough and the rewards are there from the flow, it feels amazing. So to cut the long story short here about what am I doing for my mind, I am going to be devouring this book when it comes. And I'll keep everybody posted if you're interested in listening to it. the book by Stephen Cutler. I don't think it's released yet. So that's why I'm reading West of Jesus. But it's called The Art of Impossible. Mm. And sometimes... When you're surfing or when you're learning to surf, we get a lot of feedback from people who are listening who are learning to surf. Some really great mindful surfers out there who we're very kind of grateful to have along for the ride. And they talk a lot about this kind of, it can seem impossible. How do you do? And I used to look at it. How do I do that? It's impossible. What happens? But if you're motivated enough to put the hours in to practice and you get access to things, and we're lucky now when, please God, when the lockdown ends, that you can go back to the wave and all these places where you can get practice after practice, repetition. If you're motivated to put that practice in, you'll find yourself in moments where the flow comes. And that will be different place, different stages at different times. Mm. What your flow is, Will, is different to where my flow is sometimes because of the levels of surfers we're on that curve of learning. So I'm hugely attracted from a mind perspective, what my experiences have been of that and what the book's going to sort of hopefully tell me about how to harness some of that, how to really push against the resistance Mm. in a safe and kind of mindful way 
to do what you might think is impossible. I really, really love that. And actually, can I relate it back to some of the people surf media? You'll speak to him a little bit later, but Ben Gravy, for example, when I seen him surfing the bigger waves, he was saying five years ago, that just seemed impossible to him. He wasn't a big wave surfer. But if you meet the right people along the way and the motivation levels are there enough for you to do it, then the impossible becomes the possible. It's just having the belief that it's it can belief happen. belief is lovely. That's so well said, dude. Beautifully put. I can relate that massively. I can really empathize with that. In a recent experience surfing, I was um, at a nearby spot. It was pumping. Mm. Pumping to a level that's ideal for me in my flow state. So there was some serious power and the force of the wave had real energy in it. It was peeling down the line, not too fast, not too slow. So the best way I can describe it, it was like a sort of lower trestles. If you know that wave, if you've seen that wave online, it felt like that, like uber rippable head high waves. And I was in an absolute vortex, just wave by wave by wave, top turn, top turn, cutback, spray, full roundhouse cutback maneuver. But I was completing my turns and they would turn after turn. And I kept coming back to the bowl and kind of floating down the foam. Like, But really, I was re-entering onto the foam more than normal. Because my balance receptors was just on fire without me even knowing how I was doing it. Because like you said, with flow, you don't even know how it's happening. Because when you're that in the flow, you just otherworldly forces take over and had that kind of surf. Now, came out the surf and I was literally vibrating with Stoke. It was unreal. I felt really, really good. Now, one of those reasons maybe why was I did eat particularly clean the night before and had stopped eating a couple of these foods that I felt like had maybe been affecting me. So there's always little cofactors that goes into getting into the flow, you know, your health and fitness and your mindset can help open the doorway. There's no doubt because your fitness is high enough to deal with the the balance of underwhelm, overwhelm, because a lot of the ways work a little, almost a little overwhelming because they were real steep, but I had that good feeling in the body from taking care of myself. So that body aided it too, but I left the beach just buzzing, absolutely buzzing. And then as time went on, I was talking with my wife and I was relaying to her that it's so important just to let go of that. Because a couple of reasons. One, when you've been in the flow, to come back out of it is a coming down effect because it's a bit like a drug. And surfing being a bit like a drug sometimes. Now, not every surf is going to be pure flow, but there are ones where it's like, whoa, where did I go? What happened? How long was I in? Bloody hell, whoa. And then the coming out of that can be a real comeback. Now, for some people, that can be an anxiety, like that feeling, or it can be a lower feeling. It's a thing when you're coming back to your thoughts. It's coming back to the reality of having to deal with, with thoughts, not necessarily problems, because in a way, there are no such thing as problems until we make them so, right? It's just the mind is that we're having to deal with. So on one level, it was having to let go of just how joyous flow is and that you can't be feeling joy that often. It's just not real. It's not realistic. Anyone who professes, you know, on Instagram to tell us, you know, surf all day and this is how often I surf and my life's wonderful and isn't it perfect? It's talking utter nonsense. This is no such thing. So let go of that bit. And then the second bit is the lifestyle aspect because this wave is fairly close by, but it is still a little bit of a drive. The mind then starts going, oh, but if I lived here, I'd be able to surf this, you know, more often and I would be happier because I'd be more in the flow more often, dot, 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 dot. Now, here's the thing, really interesting about flow, is that we also adapt to the environment we're in because we learn those skills within that environment. So I'd learn the skills within that power pocket of that wave a bit more. And what I would start to do is where once I was getting stimulus, and therefore getting a response, the stimulus is now dulling down because you get so familiar with that stimulus. And so the amazing thing about flow is you can start to come out of flow the more familiar you are with the thing that is that you're doing that's getting you into flows. It's really fascinating. So it's just to say that search for perfection in your surf lifestyle 
is ephemeral. It doesn't exist. It's a mirage. And I did it and have done it and will probably continue to do it for a number, a number of years. It was like, okay, the ways out here just aren't good enough to make me happy. So I've got to be there. And then I'd get to there. And then after a while, I've adapted to it. Way, it's like so much fun at the beginning. But then after a little while, once again, I'm adapted to it and it's just the norm. And so it's never ending. So the key with the search perfection in your happiness with your surfing is to notice that there is no such thing. That's the key. Come back down to earth, take a few breaths, let it go. It can be painful at times to let it go. It can. And be like, okay, you know, because I have this ego thing of, quote unquote, I'm not fulfilling my potential living by this beach at all. Because I could be doing this and I could be doing that and I could be getting barrowed and I could be doing even bigger turns and better turns and smaller boards and yada, yada, yada. And that's all well and good. That's fine. But if I can't control that, why sacrifice the very thing that is most precious in life of all now? Why sacrifice now for something that's not only always attainable because you can't just up sticks and move the family and do all these things. You can't do that. But not only that, but even if you did go there, you would adapt to it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that is why it's so important to just be where you are. And that's why I can relate so much to your flow discussion there because I did feel more flow. Now, listen, on this beach that we have here, we get small little crumbly things and does it mean I can do my big wave thing, which I love, and my you know, barrel progression that I love and bigger hacks and turns and th- I love. I can't. Realistically, I can't. Nine out of 10 surfs. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's like one out of 10. You can... And I'm no less happy for it. And the way that that has happened and worked for me, and I'm sure a lot of surfers listening to this can empathize with this. If you're in that, let's say, and we'll use the label, but like intermediate to advanced Mm. bracket where you're doing, trying to do big turns and get barrel and stuff that can empathize with this, that even if you live in, you know, California or Australia or wherever it is that you live, actually the reality is you can't do your best surfing on even most of the days that you get, like anywhere around the world. Because no one, well, obviously some people live in the Mentawis. That'd be a pretty cool place to live. And Kelly has a wave pool. And Kelly has a wave pool. So there are anomalies, there are little pockets, but your average surfer, your average surfer living no matter where they're living in the world is generally having to basically make the best of what they have. Well, look, even you and I spoke to Adam and George who live in Hawaii and it's not great conditions there all the time. From the outside looking in, you think, oh, they must have the dream surf life. And the acceptance of what is, is one of the biggest steps forward you can make in your surf happiness. Because it's why surfers, we always say, we chase waves. And people who have the resources to do it and the pro surfers are doing that all the time. That's why they go around the world chasing the world's best waves and watching for where the swell's going to hit and how it's going to hit. But that's not realistic for most people. Rather than chasing this idea of perfection, which we have this perfection fetish as surfers, and it can mean different things to different people, but ultimately perfection isn't, doesn't exist. And it's the getting there that's the enjoyable bit. And the more we enjoy the kind of steps towards it or enjoy the here and now, and you know, get what you get and don't get upset. Well, you don't just get what you get and don't get upset. You actually get what you get and you, you thrive on it and you stoked for it. It's a bit much deeper thing, but it's an incredibly difficult thing to do because we're all butterflies, aren't we? We want to flip from one thing to the next. And particularly with surf, because as we kind of explore with everybody that listens to this all the time, we are inundated, absolutely inundated because we all love it looking at waves in places that you think, wow, that looks amazing. Or look at that person ripping. I spoke to one of my mates this morning who lives in Japan and he was talking about watching people rip on these boards. And that just isn't the reality of life in most places because you also don't see the outtakes where those guys and those women that absolutely destroy waves and they look amazing. 
they're human, so they make mistakes. They fall off. They've got to progress. They've got to do all of that. They've gone through the resistance. They've done it. And they're still doing it because they're pushing themselves. So it is what it is. And you kind of embrace what you've got. And in doing that, we've really dialed up. Well, certainly we talk about stoke levels. More of a challenge for you, Will, at the level you're at. But for me, sometimes it's just the dream living at least just near a beach mm. that you can go and walk to. We've been intensely privileged, that, especially during these lockdown times, that we've got a walking distance surf if we want one. And then, like you say, there's the local bits where you just drive for five minutes and you've got some of the waves to try or a bit further afield. And we're blessed. So it's, it's acknowledging that and getting the most out of it. And it's all, like your brothers have said before, it's all in the bank, isn't it then? Everything that you've done on the mush burgers and the days when it's howling and it's onshore and it's crappy and it's all of those things. When you do then find that wave that, like you did the other day, that, that you're able to kind of hit the flow state on. All of that helps you enter the flow state because it's all of the practice. It's all of the resistance that you previously met. It's all of those things that combine to enable your body to do things that when you get out of the water and somebody said, wow, how did you do that? Well, I don't know. It just, okay, it just happened. But it didn't just happen. It happened because of the relentless hours of practice and drive and ambition and motivation to go and practice and stuff that, frankly, sometimes, yeah, it's just mush burgers. Just mush burgers. But we love them. And it does, it makes it so much more satisfying. You then do get that. And I think that where we live is very unique in the sense that I think that because we surf on like scraps, yep. basically, if you were compare it to the world standards, we do really surf on little scrappy things. That when it comes together somewhere, oh, the stoke levels and the satisfaction that is immense. But that we still are then able to stay grounded on the realities that like, you know, this is what we surf and it's fun and make the most of it. I will say this, that I'm definitely at times envious of how much stoke you get when we're out on that little two foot onshore thing or one foot and you're just, you're absolutely buzzing. I can hear it and sense it. And I'm sat there kind of going, oh yeah, cool. It's okay. Not like buzzing in the flow. But what's really interesting is it's then noticing that I'm getting out of that flow and then trying to really squeeze every single drop out of the next wave. And that's like the long ball progression yeah. for me. And being on bigger boards, because I've learned that, Christ, it's just, there's so much mastery to be had in that. Yeah. And when I was riding earlier on today, and it was only two foot, and yeah. yes, it was onshore, and yes, it was weak, and by no means barreling, little chocolate dumpers. I don't know what you're talking about. I was getting tubes, well, tube you, after tube. You got tube, but I obviously <laughs> didn't. Um, was that you kind of take off, and it's the joy of the takeoff, because you can really delay it on a big board like really delay it so you take off and that's a skill in itself that makes me really focus and the next thing that makes me focus is trying to bring the board around the bowl and sort of sit by the foam and then quickly race to the front of it and hang five or hang ten and I've opened up a whole new doorway of focus is what it is and we discussed this prior to the show that some people have this thing of like oh don't take your surfing too seriously like just have a laugh and smile and have fun and like yeah like <laughs> of course like smile and have fun but the thing about flow is the thing that we want. It's this pure energy of when you're having so much fun that you don't even notice you're having fun. That's what flow is. You don't have to try and debate whether you're having fun. That's when you're having the most fun. To get in that state takes focus. And some people might perceive that as, oh, you're taking it really seriously. Well, that's just a label because what is playful to me is the flow. And what is the flow is the playfulness. So to say that, you know, are you taking it too seriously? It's fucking ludicrous because well, you have more fun if you're in the flow. Well, look, it's like comedy is the most serious business in the world, right? They always say that. They're not having a great time all the time when they're writing comedy. I've got friends who are comedy writers. It can be quite sort of uh, 
tricky. And they always say that, you know, it's a serious business comedy. I think that's probably a message we were going to get out because there's an element to what we say and do the mindful surfer. And of course, we're getting joy out of everything, enjoying everything. You guys out there, take it as seriously as you want to take. Take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Taking it seriously is no bad thing. It's just about not take yourself too seriously. Take your surfing seriously. And it's like with art, isn't it? Artists take their art seriously. But what they create is this expression that is giving them joy. So if you don't take it seriously enough sometimes, you don't beat the resistance that takes you into the flow state. You know, I know there's a lot out there and we kind of talk about it a bit ourselves where it's like you just have to smile and have a good time and wave at everybody and everybody's can get along nice and like you say, party wave central and that sort of thing. That is not always cool because it's a place where it's dangerous sometimes, even two foot, you know, I got a fin in the back of the head today. So you have to take surfing seriously because it's a serious thing to go out into the ocean mm, and the more you kind of go agree. into more dangerous conditions it's important that people have a respect for that and with respect of powerful things that can hurt you comes a level of seriousness that needs to be completely taken agree. and respect completely agree. by all means do it with a smile on your face but it doesn't mean to say you can't take it seriously big time i totally agree with you i just want to mention a quick body hack for me i've practiced cold showers in the morning for a long time now just gives me a really good brain boost in the morning, makes me feel really happy, really buzzing, and it's great for recovery. And we talked about cold therapy. I'm before, doing it. Before, which you are doing. Now, I discussed this last week, I think, but I'd also, I've started to increase my calorie intake a little bit because I've noticed there's this, um, not notice, it's right there in front of me, this fucking cereal. This paleo cereal is divine that I really, really enjoy. But it's what Co- I found with it. Cocoa Pops? It's sugar, <laughs> sugar Puffs? <laughs> it's... Chocolate sugar puff. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, it's about as paleo. Frosties. Yeah, quite. Yeah. It's called paleo cereal. It's just like it's coconut, seeds, um, chia seeds, uh, cinnamon, no honey. The, the sweetener is the spice, the cinnamon. Anyway, it's by the by what's actually in there. I have found it healthful to me in the sense that it's helped my sleep. I think I was a few hundred calories just under each day from what is what we might call my homeostasis. Now, homeostasis is where your body's at its happiest, okay? Not too fat, not too slim, but right somewhere in the middle where you're sleeping your best, your sex drive's good, good cognition, energy in the day, dot, 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 dot. And I kind of look back in hindsight and kind of go, okay, there is a bit of a need there for a few more calories because I sort of, I was not sleeping great for a bit. And that really was obviously then affecting my surf recovery. And I think my knee was niggling a little bit during that time. So I've increased the calories a little bit in that way. But what I've done is rather than increase the calories and then put on body fat, what I want is I want that calorie increase and that nutrition increase to help the sleep, but I don't want to gain the fat. So what I've done is supplemented this little cold shower in the evenings now. Okay. So in the evenings before dinner, it's two minutes, set the timer, and I'm just in there. And it's really cold because we live in England. <laughs> and you get out feeling like, whoa, serious bit of cold. And it means then you can keep the homeostasis going of the body fat levels you want for surf performance and whatnot, which I love but also still getting this extra little bit of nutrition. And the thing is, is that I said this to a client this morning. If you're looking to trim down, exercise, of course, is a great choice because it burns calories. But the thing about exercise as that as a choice of trying to help you get in shape is it's very, very easy to overtrain, like incredibly easy to overtrain. Um, Even walking to a degree, you can do too much. But the thing about cold that makes it a great hack for burning body fat is it helps as opposed to hinders recovery and burns fat at the same time. So now you've got yourself a really interesting hack because you're actually boosting recovery. So you're not now going out and training again, which obviously lowers recovery mm-hmm. and makes you sore and all that stuff. So, but you're boosting recovery because of what cold does and you're burning 
body fat at the same time. So it's like the equivalent of two minute really cold shower, like whole body immersed or three minutes or whatever you can handle would be the equivalent of going on the bike for half an hour and trying to get into shape that way. Except the bike will have the implication of tired legs for the next day to go surfing. So do you see what... I can see why people evangelize about the cold water stuff. I was having some friends last night on Zoom, because that's our life now, isn't it? Zoom hangouts, taking the piss out of my cold water because I say, hey, I'm doing these cold water showers. But it is euphoric when you come out of it. I mean, it's driving the rest of my household crazy because you can hear them go in the shower after me and go, because <laughs> I never turn it back. Nice. Well, that's nice of you, dude. Are you trying to fuck over the next person goes in? Leave it on freezing cold. But it does feel immense. I've really enjoyed, that's been one thing that started this year. And it's not a New Year's resolution because I don't make them. It's just more of the, from the beginning of Jan, from the sort of point of doing the New Year's Day swim, right through is a cold water shower, like building up the time and the, how cold it goes every morning. But I've not been doing it in the evening. You do feel amazing afterwards for about an hour or two without doing anything. So good. It is it, good. I recommend it. It's so it. good. It's growing. Yeah. The cold therapy thing is growing exponentially. Yeah. It's so growing Well, so I've much. been walking around thinking everybody's heard of Wim Hof. And I said to some guy who was coming out the water the other day who's had a swim, you're channeling her in a Wim Hof. And he, he sort of looked at me as if to say, he swear, what was he? What are you saying? <laughs> he never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> be careful. He thought I was calling him a wanker. Call him like a cold twat. Yeah, yeah. You Wim Hof. You Wim Hof. Segment number three, final bit, Surf Media Insight. We're huge fans of a number of vloggers, but two really standout vloggers who are probably leading in the subscriber realm too, I expect, are Ben Grady and Jamie O'Brien. We love Ben. Love Ben. Love Jamie. Two very different vibes, different approaches, but also lots of similarities as well. Ben is hanging out with Jamie at the moment in Hawaii. And Jamie, for those of you who don't know who Jamie O'Brien is, is probably Mr. Pipe, aside from Jerry Lopez, and can pretty much do anything on a surfboard, arguably. Like Possibly the world's best barrel rider. World's best barrel rider, world's best free surfer. And then on the other side, you've got Ben Gravy, who, if you don't know who Ben Gravy is, world's most stoked surfer vlogger still an incredible surfer and i'd love to better surf like that one day comfortable in the barrel can do airs really cracking surf but nowhere near really the level of jamie o'brien because you can't be i mean ben's grown up on the east coast of america jamie got to grow up on the doorstep of pipeline itself like you cannot compare what that can do my insight is seeing ben on camera with jamie he was just different just a different vibe, the way he was, the way he acted, the way he behaved. And it brings me on to an insight that I want to share. Be kind to yourself. If you become more self-aware and therefore a bit more edgy and lose a bit of performance in your surfing, when you go into lineups that you're not familiar with, or you go into places where there's different faces, or everyone seems to be surfing like a much higher level than you. So if some people are surfing higher level than you, it's really understandable to start going, fuck, you know, do I deserve to be here? What do they think about my surfing? You know, is it good enough to be here? You know, and it really puts you, let's say, out of that flow experience. So therefore, just be really, really kind to yourself. That's the insight I just want to share. There are obviously, you know, deep breathing you can do around that and maybe paddle down the beach or just accept the way it is. But it's kind of really that self-kindness aspect because we're all human. And if you do find yourself in that place, I think it's quite normal. Have you ever found that before? Yeah, we all are, whether you want to put this in inverted commas or not, surfers. Whatever you're doing, whether you're sort of in a surf school or whether you're sort of riding pipeline, we're all surfers. We love the vibe and the flow and the stoke that comes from riding a surfboard on a wave and that energy that's sort of pushing you along. Love it. I absolutely relate to it because there is a sort of hierarchy, isn't there? And a kind of, we talk about beginners and intermediates and advanced. And it's like, well, what does it mean? Because you speak to some people and yeah, cool, we're surfers, but I'm certainly not surfing anything so often. 
six foot ish and a bit sometimes we've surfed bigger i'm like yeah i don't fancy this and to some people well it's like a two foot wave and you can see that the last video was one of it was kalani chapman i think was surfing with ben he was driving one yeah, of the skis that's right, that's right that's right and kalani chapman is just going anything wasn't he, he was surfing like 50 foot waves or whatever and ben was like well i'm just honored to be in there and it's like when you speak to those guys i don't get to speak to kalani chapman obviously but people who surf those waves and you say you're a surfer it's kind of like sometimes that is a humbling experience as well. And it's just not giving yourself a hard time that you're not doing what they do. We're all getting the best habit. Their version of flow, as we were saying, they need to be in that to kind of get into the flow state. And they might enjoy all size of wave from two foot to 50 foot. But I've done that before when sort of going way back when I was surfing, again, verticonomers as a younger guy, and I sort of got these new boards and talking to pals who are like from South Africa and Australia. And it's the usual thing where they go, nah, mate, I don't really surf. And then you go surfing with them and you're sort of whitewater banditing, like surf school wise. And they're ripping and there's like, oh, I'm just going to paddle out because there's bigger waves over That's there. Fucking classic. And it's really quite an eye opener to go, yeah. right, well, am I a surf? It makes you question yeah. it. And of course, of course we are. We're all enjoying it but different levels. And I think yeah, that's probably where yeah. Ben had gone. You could see that in the... I watched the yeah, same just, video. It's just, just a different vibe. But I always remember going surfing with this guy. This is when I used to live in London and um, travel down on the weekends, although I actually was blessed to have Fridays off too. So we used to leave on Thursday afternoons and have a three-day surf kind of weekendy thing. And this guy I met in the gym called Chili, who might even be listening. I have no idea. South African guy, lovely fella, came down to the coast with us. And borrowed a suit, borrowed this, borrowed that, a crappy old fish, thought nothing of it. And we were surfing Croyd, about two foot on shore, pretty junky conditions, not even offering much of a lip at all. And me and my mate were there. We didn't know how he was going to surf at all. He took off on this wave, disappeared below the trough, and then suddenly came out of the air, holding both rails about three feet out of the lip. And we were like, what the fuck was that? And he hadn't been surfing for three years. It'd been the first surfer he'd had in three years. Yeah. Just don't compare yourself. It's always... Don't ever compare yeah. where you're at to somewhere else. Take the wisdom, you know, ask the questions, but just don't compare. Well, we've all been there when you're younger as well. Is I always find that there's usually an inverse proportion of there's a pub surfer. Yeah. You get that? Yep. Who is telling you about surf stories while you're in the pub. And then you go and surf with them. And you go, well, hang on a minute. That's so true. I met so many yeah. surfs like that. We'd be like, oh, and I was riding this yeah, board yeah. and I was doing this thing and I went to the mentor ways yeah. and I did it. And I'm like, whoa, building a picture in my yeah. head. They take off and do the kookiest <laughs> turn and you go, okay. And by the way, it's even fucking matters. Yeah, exactly. What they think in their own head of how yeah. they think they surf. Christ's sake. You know, this is why there's this old thing of like, try to never see yourself in video footage yeah. surfing. Yeah. Doing anything. <laughs> Doing anything. Yeah. Singing, dancing, surfing. And name the last one, dude. You do it. Homemade porn. And you have to do this. Homemade porn. You have now, to, it's, every for, week you have to me, say something horrific. For me, horrific. It's, I just don't want to see my crack from behind. I think it would really no terrify me. Yeah. No one wants to see that. Anyway, on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell, I like that. Yeah, you like that. Nice one, guys. Okay. Been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. See you soon.